the Incomparable Podcast. Number 73, January 2012. We are back on the Incomparable Podcast, and this is a strange episode. This is going to serve as our look back on 2011, uh, basically meaning we don't have to do a new episode this week. Instead, we're... Um, but, but here we are, so it is a new episode. And if you haven't heard the episodes before, they're new to you. That's yes. right. Joining me today on this uh, Magical Mystery Tour are Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Thank you for being here. I've always wanted to be on a clip show. And now you are. (laughs) 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 I have bad news. Commander Riker has been bitten by something down on a planet and now is in sickbay reliving the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) It's terrible. I hate when you get bitten by the clip monster or whatever. It's not good. And also that other voice you heard is Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Hey, Jason. Happy last year we have to hear about the stupid Mayans. Yay! That's right. The <laughs> you Mayans. mean the last year ever. Well, one one <laughs> way or the, the other, year, the Mayans. last year we have to hear about the Mayans. At the end it's of true. the year, the Mayans all will climb on to a, like a boat and push off the <laughs> coast and just disappear into the sea. I believe they're oh. boarding a comet wearing their Nikes. Ah, excellent. And purple ponchos. That's right. That's good. Sassy. Uh-huh. This, so the topic of our podcast wow. is the Heaven's Gate Doomsday Cult. <laughs> I was, was going to say, these jokes are ripped from the headlines. We've got That's a right. call in Lemon Grove, California. Hello, you're on the air. I honestly can't remember anything that happened in 2011, so I'm rolling it way back. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> the last year I have any recollection of. Also joining me are Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello, Jason. And Dan Morin. I'm on this podcast. You are. I am. Hello. I'm glad. So, so we have we have four people here with me to have mm-hmm. the podcast episode that has no topic other than 2011. Yes, we're talking about time, and we'll also relive some exciting moments because this is the incomparable clip show. Exciting moments from the past. But uh, before we did that, I wanted to ask our esteemed panel uh, if they would like to share a favorite thing from 2011, something you discovered or uh, enjoyed in 2011, just to single it out and give it a little last bit of love before we move into the hate and violence and horror and torment that is 2012. Uh, Scott, what about you? Something you liked from 2011? Uh, uh, 2011 will go down in uh, history. Well, Scott McNulty history, which is a very uh, focused Select history. history. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It's, it has limited appeal, but uh, it's big in Germany. Uh, as the year... But I discovered Ian MacDonald, who is the author of The Dervish House, oh, the which, Dervish in House. fact, was my favorite novel of uh, 2011. I believe and you mentioned that on a previous podcast. I did, but I thought I'd mention it again since I have this opportunity. Because no, I no, 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 it, Scott. You're on a clip show. I believe what? you mentioned it on a previous podcast. Ah, I remember it listen. like it was yesterday. <laughs> His settings are non-Western, mm. which makes it... Very interesting to me because it's an alien culture, and yet it's you know still humans. So in the Dervish House's case, we get it's set in in Turkey. Yep. In the near future, in like what twenty forty, twenty thirty, something like that. Yeah, and it's great because I have no idea. I don't know the culture well enough to know what is actually current behavior. I mean, I know the technology, of course, but I don't know what's current behavior and what's supposed. And it feels it feels very genuine. So even if it's wrong, it feels right. But um, but it may, it adds that displacement. 
and a travelogue kind of feel too. It was like this is cool. I'm learning things that may or may not be true, but I'm I feel like I'm learning things about Turkey and about attitude of the Turks toward Europe. And then there's the whole sci-fi element on top of it. Yeah, and the 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 story of the the mellified man. I don't know if that's which is which is like again. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's the the he eats honey until he dies. And then they put him in a, a stone casket full of honey and they store it away in the ground and he turns – it's like his body turns into honey and then it's supposed to like have magical healing properties I, or something. I love that word. It was just like mellified. You read that and you're just like, I want to know what that is. I love the Dervish House. Now, didn't you, didn't you read the uh, Dervish House? because uh, You read another book of his because you thought it – was required for the Dervish House, which it wasn't, right? I did. I read The River of Gods, which is a much longer book, also very good. And for some reason, I thought The Dervish House was a sequel to The River of Gods. And it turns out they are completely <laughs> not unrelated. <laughs> not even a little. Have you read other Ian MacDonald? This, uh... Uh, I did. He actually he uh, wrote a young adult book, uh, which is uh, came out last month, maybe December. Um, was last month December? I don't know. Uh, Planes Runner. Which was, you know, fine. It was uh, so. The thing I like about Ian McDonald is that he has in his uh, adult books, I suppose, uh, several plots that seemingly are unrelated, and then they come together, and you go, "Oh my god, this is a beautiful tapestry of wonderful writing." Uh, for his young adult thing, he decided uh, kids are stupid, so <laughs> let's have one plot and lots of action. And so I mean he's still it's it's still well written but it's not as uh complex or as uh it doesn't have the depth of his other works I think. Seems like he could have just put kids are stupid on the first page and left the rest blank. That's <laughs> true. We we summed up existence at that point. So so Dan, do you have a favorite thing from 2011? Yeah, uh something that uh, I didn't get to man- mention on podcast, unfortunately. Uh, I what kind of, of a clip show guest are you? Uh, horrible. Um, I, I, I mentioned it on a future podcast. This is the new content. What? It's new to you. Yeah, shh. You mentioned it in a future clip. I did. I did. Can we can we roll that clip? Yeah, let's roll um, it now. <laughs> uh, I was going to say a, a video game. Um, I played a, I play a bunch of video games this year. The one that I that I found myself returning to thinking about the most is a game called Deus Ex Human Revolution which is a, a flawed game in many ways, but also a really fascinating game just in terms of the world that it exposes you to. And this is a sort of a cyberpunk near-future game where a lot of people have these human, uh, these cybernetic augmentations. And there's a... I, I tried to figure out what I liked so much about this game, and I finally watched a... Uh, a video online from a I can't remember where it was, but it was hosted at Penny Arcade. It's one of the videos they sort of do for their rotating TV series, where some people were talking about why they thought it was like the best game of the year, and they kept seizing upon, well, it's, you know, there were frustrating parts in the game, and they had these weird boss battles that didn't make they were totally throwbacks. But in and of itself, it presided. It was such a syntactically perfect uh, exploration of this world and it's so the atmosphere and the ambience of it were so uh, so pervasive and so consistent that it was really immersive and i just i found myself caught up in this entire world just wanting to walk around and explore things and not even always following the plot that was given me but 
Also, I think I really appreciated the fact that it took this idea of sort of branching choices and morality in a direction that was was much more subtle. A lot of games, they're trying to implement this now, and I think this is something going forward that's going to be really important in video games is this idea of, like, do you want to be a good guy? Do you want to be a bad guy? But they, they didn't make it into this, like, do you want to save all these people or do you want to kill all these people? It wasn't a heavy-handed choice. There was a, there's a point very early in the game where you have to get into uh, a police department. And you're a former cop, and so you stop and you're talking to the guy at the desk who's a guy you served with. And depending on how you approach it, there are a number of ways to accomplish that objective. Um, and I chose to do it by sort of being really sympathetic about this guy who's been sort of fallen from grace and, you know, had this uh, terrible experience. And I, so my, I played the character very sympathetic, and the guy was mollified and eventually let me in. My friend Jason Tossi, who has also appeared on this podcast, took the entire opposite tact. He browbeat the guy into letting him in. And in a normal game, you know, you might think that's that's sort of interesting. You can approach it those two ways. But it struck me later in the game as you're exiting your apartment – I had an, a second encounter with a guy where he said, oh, you know, I decided to leave the police department. I was – I just wasn't – didn't feel like I felt, you know, fit in there anymore. And I was like, oh, well, I'll, let me get you a job. I'll put in your name or something. He's like, oh, that would be great. Jason leaves his apartment and the guy tries to kill it. just like, you ruined my life and tries to shoot him. And I was like – we and so neither of us knew about this until we discussed it. We told him like, wow, that that's fascinating. These little like things you set into motion and then later on they have these huge, you know, little implications or whatever. And And – it's it was just a it was a great game. I really enjoyed playing it and despite its flaws, I just found it was one of my favorite things this year. All right. That's great. Uh Ms. Caldwell, do you have a favorite thing? Uh my favorite thing is 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 broad and specific at the same time, which is just new things in general. I mean, <laughs> new things. <laughs> new things is my favorite this thing. Was a, yeah, new things are great. This was the year. Last, year, that last year's new things uh, were good. The 2010 new <laughs> things suck though. They yeah. I was more more of an old things year. No, but I mean to to elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh in 2007, I did this thing where I basically I looked at what I was reading and I looked at what I was watching and and basically said, you know, all right, I have a I have a certain amount of literature that I have under my belt, but here are, here are some books that I really want to read and here are some movies that I really want to watch. And I just locked myself up in a room for a while in 2007 and did all of that. And 2011 was a another similar year where I went through a lot of content that I'd never seen before. I I went through a bunch of TV shows that I had been told repeatedly to watch like Veronica Mars and Party Down and Buffy and Supernatural. Thanks, Dan. Uh, and, you know, so a lot of new television shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she did sound that enthused when she said thanks. <laughs> well, it was seven, it was seven seasons to slog through, I should point <laughs> out. But Long, they were come on. It's a delightful. Oh, it's a delightful romp. It ruined your 2011. To romp through the fields of of undead things, uh, but I mean, aside from television shows, I mean, I saw Real Genius for the first time. I, I blame, the, yeah, I blame the podcast for a lot of it because having book club and having you know our our regular television te- talking about TV shows and talking about movies and books like that, it gives me a reason beyond. I need to be more literate and I need to find more things to inhale into my brain. Uh, it gives uh, me an additional, yes, I know. <laughs> it, mm. Inhale into my brain, maybe not the best word choice, but you know, mm. anyway, learning new things is new fun. Things. And in 2011, I did a lot of that. Woohoo. All right. Was there any new thing in particular that struck your fancy more than the others? Or is it just all new things are good? That's a good question. Um, I, 
was really happy to have seen Short Circuit for the first time because I I adore robots and robot movies and I hadn't seen this one before. Um, and books wise, uh, I finally sat down and read myself some Neil Stevenson and I had been putting it off for ages and I'm very, very glad that I finally got around to it. Song of Ice and Fire, maybe not so much, but Neil Stevenson, I will count as a win. All right. Ooh. That's great. Uh, Steve, what about you? Well, I too am going to tout, uh, the joys of new things in the same way that, that Ren appreciates them, which is to say, I have a very old thing that I would like to talk about <laughs> <laughs> because as you know, uh, perhaps you figured out from my discussion of the, uh, heaven's gate guys earlier. Uh, my life is basically a TiVo that's running about 10 years back. So this year I finally got around to watching uh, a film that people have been recommending to me for the better part of a decade. It's a, a Japanese film that's, that hails from around 2000 and uh, finally had a spare moment. I was sitting there with a DVD and I said, let's watch this. So I finally put on Battle Royale. Nice. Which <laughs> no doubt, you know, I'm sure that uh, most of you have probably absorbed already. I but, have not yet inhaled that into my brain. Oh well, you it's it's a good yeah. it's a good inhale. You should really have you have you read go. the Hunger Games because this is better, right? And that's another reason why I'm bringing it up is because my wife uh, read the Hunger Games and she was describing the plot to me, and I was thinking that sounds an awful lot like the plot to Battle Royale. Um, so it's it's topical, even though it's ancient. Um, so yeah, basically the film is. Uh, is about a, a dystopian future where the children have rebelled and have no respect for their elders. Yeah, it sounds like a stretch, but, uh, but it happens. And uh, apparently the solution to this is the Japanese government each year sequesters a, uh, I don't know if it's high school, but whatever their final, their final year of schooling is in Japan. Uh, it takes one class and they sequester them on a, a deserted island and they basically tell them, you know, one of you can survive at the end of three days. Uh, and they give each of them a random weapon. I think one guy has uh, like a pot lid <laughs> or has it, and somebody else randomly ends up with a chainsaw. Another guy has a, has an Uzi. Somebody has a stun gun. Uh, and basically they're, they're dispatched to, to dispatch each other. And uh, if there's not one person standing, if there are multiple people standing on the final day, then everybody dies. Uh, it's never really explained how this is supposed to uh, cause the youth to fall into line since Apparently, this class was totally unaware of the existence of this this annual event, so there are some <laughs> plot holes. But at any rate, it's a it's a heck of a ride. It has. And is it, is it set in Japan, or does the Japanese government come to America and take students <laughs> and put them on an island? It, it is, in fact, uh, set in Japan. Oh, that's a relief. Huh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a heck of a ride. It's got liberal heapings of of japanese over the top sort of cartoonish gore although not 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 as bad as some films that i've seen uh like ichi the killer and a few others um and it has some interesting sort of poignant satire in it as well although i'm not sure i understand more than maybe a third of it there are a lot of sort of recurring scenes from from the past of the uh how the students interacted with each other at school um, and, and some background as to why certain of the students become just utterly psychopathic and, and seem to take joy in trying to kill their fellow students and others kind of try to band together and, and sort of form a society. Um, so it's like lost, except everybody kills each other. More or less. Yes. All and right. they're all, they're all teenagers. Um, but it's, it's a really good film and, and surprisingly moving in places and, uh, and 
I dug it. All right. And since I didn't actually consume anything from 2011 in 2011, that's my pick for 2011. That, that is fine. That is a, a new thing. Perfectly acceptable pick. A new here, here, old thing. Jason, may I ask what was your what was your favorite thing from 2011? Why, thank you for asking, Dan. I don't want to know. I'm, I'd like to know. I oh, wait. Hold, we're out of time. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Join us next time. Um, I think, I'm going to guess real genius. <laughs> that's my favorite thing for all eras ever. Uh, Right. But um, in if I have to narrow it down to 2011, I um, I think the thing that I enjoyed the most, um, which surprises me when I was coming down a list of stuff I liked, um, is the HBO TV series Game of Thrones, hmm. which I enjoyed a lot. And having read those books, I was very impressed at how good a job they did in translating it into a TV series that was both faithful to the books and yet not so slavishly faithful that they didn't work as individual TV episodes and as a whatever it was 10 episode story arc. Um, the, you know, the special effects were effective. The acting was good. The writing was good. It could have been a train wreck. And instead I think it was one of the better TV shows of the year and um and so i i really enjoyed game of thrones um in the in the book category i I can throw in uh somebody asked me what my favorite book of the year was i think it's probably among others which i mentioned on the podcast a while back by joe walton Mm -hmm. which um i know scott read it and liked it too i finally just i finally figured out a way to describe what this book is it's a fantasy novel about science fiction <clears throat> and it's and, and and it's also about a Welsh schoolgirl going to a an English private school, and it's it's great and strange and not what you'd expect. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there who hate it because sort of on one level nothing happens in it, and yet it's great. And uh, and then if I threw in another pick for um, a young adult that I read that I really liked would be Shipbreaker by mm-hmm. Paolo Basigalupi who mm-hmm. wrote The Wind-Up Girl, which I liked uh, in 2010. And this is an older, I think this is for also from 2010. But uh, as as the young adult novels go, it's actually kind of a shame that it isn't more well-known. It's a really well-executed, fun um, adventure story that also has its own you know, take on uh, environmental consequences and could have wrecked oil tankers figure in the plot and... Uh, it was really good too. So, but if I had to pick one, I think I think I'd actually pick Game of Thrones, much to my own surprise. Now, this is the portion of the program where I'd like to share some listener feedback. Oh, I I didn't I didn't sign up for that. Are you uh, aware yes. that there are listeners to this podcast? I was, no, my wife was just eight. us. Besides, yeah, besides you guys, oh, I I gotta go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but it is my understanding that. There were there were more listeners before uh, a podcast that we entitled Stephen Fry does not appear. Oh, yes. And then after that, it, that number sort of dropped off sharply. We had to rebuild <laughs> our listenership after we had to, we had to make it stronger. Better. The, so the Stephen Fry, Fry podcast is what happened when we basically got like five members of the Incomparable in a room together and closed the door, and it was a very small room with no air. And over the course of an hour, we became increasingly loopy, and right. and um, we discussed about twenty or fifty or ninety topics in about an hour, <laughs> and none of it made any sense. 
That did not. That never that left. Never left. Yeah. Mm. That was wow. Weird. This is like the swerviest podcast ever. If, we, if we'd only been drinking, it would have all made much more sense. But yes. in fact, no, no, no. We've all I been recommend drinking. that our listeners have all been drinking. drinking. I, I recommend that our listeners drink before <laughs> listening to the rest. <laughs> I of think this you should podcast. put a recipe at the outset of this. Please pour for the incomparable martini. Well, this is the incomparable. After dark, that was the bum, now bum, Stephen bum. Fry in a, in a now, locked in a room. Stephen Fry, <laughs> no longer locked. He had a TV in a room, show Jason. called A Bit of Fry and Laurie. And at the end of each episode, with Hugh Laurie, TV TV's Doctor House, he's, he's, he's one, of our, one of America's finest sing. actors. He plays <laughs> sing and it's lovely. <laughs> and he right, imp- he imitates a trumpet very convincingly. Yes, and they always serve a drink. What shall we order for the drink? And it's all I'll have the hat tricks. Like ah, you take three pounds of dried ice, shavings, and arsenic, mix them together, and shake. And then he shakes while Mr. Music plays. And that's what I cannot believe that you brought it around to Stephen Fry again. There, that is. I win this podcast. I am amazed by that. (laughs) Stephen Fry did not appear. No, he never did. It was great fun when we could still breathe. Yeah, and then and then not so much after we were all about to die. So you're more or less inhaling each other into your brains. Yeah, and you can hear it. It's all it's there on the tape. If you play it back, you can you can. Was that the episode where Lex Friedman was joking and jokingly laughing at all of our misfortunes in the background? Yeah, he was our studio audience for that episode. Yeah. Poor bastard. He was using up the oxygen. We should have kicked him out. <laughs> um, so I don't have any listener feedback about the Stephen Fry episode because really nobody listened to it because it was unlistenable. But um, I do have some interesting – I asked on the Incomparable Twitter account, at The Incomparable. Uh, follow that, by the way, if you aren't already. It's full of – I'm doing things. it right now. Good, what is that good. now? At the incomparable, um, li- I, I asked I asked <laughs> the listeners on Twitter um, if they had any favorite incomparable moments from 2011, uh, and here are some of the uh, responses I got. Listener Chris said John Syracuse covertly reconstructing the Firefly Firefly cast from discarded parts. Uh, listener Adam similarly said. Easy, Syracuse's sneaky lightning buck draft pick with accompanying sea uh, lawyering over Han Solo's status as a TV character. <laughs> Holiday Han. For my fifth oh. round pick, John Syracuse selects Han Solo from the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> oh, oh wait. I almost went there. Judges. Judges. I, and I quote from the rules that, uh, that Jason came up with. <laughs> Any TV show ever. It's true. It counts. So does that mean Life Day will feature prominently in your, uh, your, pro- your I'm picking the character of Han Solo. He has an established character from the movies, yes, but he appeared on television, in which is any TV show ever in the history of TV. The, uh, the exact words from the email here. But I'll allow it. No. I'll allow it. But but there's there's got to be holiday-themed. He, he always has to remark... <laughs> About what key holidays? <laughs> I like that ruling. Yeah, he has, no, to wear, he has to wear a Santa hat for the whole thing. Santa's not in Star Wars. And if he shoots first, he uses a candy cane. <laughs> it's 500 years in the future. Mankind has slipped the surly bonds of Earth and is spread across the galaxy thanks to a propulsion breakthrough that harnesses the powerful electrostatic discharges found in the atmospheres of gas giant planets. Yes, that all makes sense. A planned planetary government controls most of the civilized planets, but on the more outer rim planets, let's say, government authority is less potent. Han Solo is the captain of a starship and a smuggler. Surprise. River Song is his second in command, a tough, competent lady who knows her way around a gun and an old war war buddy of Han's. His pilot and trusted friend is Hank Dalworth, 
a rumpled, good-natured fellow who also happens to be River Song's husband. Daisy Steiner is the ship's mechanic. She's young and innocent, but a whiz with a hydro spanner. <laughs> James Ford is a hired gun. He's great in a fight, but the others on the crew not, are not sure that he can be trusted. Joan Harris is a high-class courtesan tagging along on Han's ship, both, both for transport and protection. Her presence lends an air of legitimacy to an otherwise ragtag crew, but there's definitely some sexual tension between Joan and the scruffy-looking Han. Into the life of this crew falls Jack Shepard, a doctor from one of the civilized planets, and his slightly crazy <laughs> sister Echo. They're both from the government, but won't explain why. Tywin Lannister is the government officer in charge of apprehending Jack and Echo, and he has no trouble going through some anti-government rebel scum to get what he wants. Finally, at the far reaches of the known planets lie the nomadic tribes known as the Horde, huh. led by Khal Drogo. Uh -huh. Even government ships fear them. Together, Han and his crew flit from planet to planet in their tiny spaceship, making a dishonest living as smugglers, while they avoid any imperial entanglements and steer clear of the Horde, all while still trying to be the good guys in the movie of their lives. There are on-ship crushes, betrayals, heist of the week episodes on remote planets, and an overall story arc concerning the mysterious backstory of Jack and Echo. The show's title is the name of Han's ship, The Lightning Bug. <laughs> wow! Can we groan now? Brilliant! It's gonna make a Go. million dollars. Wow. I've never heard of anything like this before. I have a feeling that this show will be canceled after thirteen episodes, only ten of which will air. Yes, not not, not in the correct order, and not even in correct order. Wow! Wow! Sounds wow. I have nothing to say to that. I executed the plan. Not very creative, but it's kind of like like in Pet Cemetery when the dad really wants the little boy to come back to life, so he uses dark magic. <laughs> and, uh, and reanimates the corpse. That's what I've done here. I'm still a little upset about that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Move on. There was no life day mentioned at all in the lightning bug pitch, as I recall. <laughs> it's shameful. Wrong. So, listener Lori liked the uh, canceled TV show draft, but... She says the TV character draft made her laugh from beginning to end. So I guess my favorite moment, Steve, was the drafting of Skeletor. Yes. Listener Janice <laughs> said, I laughed so much at the character draft that my sister thought I was nuts. Well, there's a good chance. You're that, welcome. <laughs> Listener Chad wrote in simply saying, Skeletor! Yes. <laughs> what else needs to be said? Really? Well, I'm going to go with one then that's uh, that's close to my heart for various reasons, and uh, I know somebody's just raring to pick him, so I better grab him now. I'm going to pick uh, pick Skeletor from the Masters <laughs> of the Universe cartoon series. <laughs> Sorry, I did not see that coming. Uh, should, he shouldn't he be on the show with Tom Servo. Well, the beauty of Skeletor is that he can die every week and yet miraculously <laughs> reappear from under the pile of rocks that he was buried under. Well, in well, subsequent weeks. So if Anthony tries to send Skeletor to the cornfield, what happens? He's back the next week. <laughs> That's well, the tension of the show. No spoilers. No spoilers. All right. I'll wait it's for your, your premise. Eagerly. It's crucial wow. to my plot, which, uh, which uh, I look forward to uh, making up on the can tomorrow. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's appropriate. It, it's, Skeletor is the alpha and the omega of our podcast. He sure. won that draft. By killing everyone else. <laughs> it's a little scary. In addition to the, the TV drafts um, where in which Mr. Lutz had the best pick and mm. won the pitch session after all of that, um, you were also, Steve, the master of trash talk. I believe, I believe telling me to eat it in the <laughs> classic <right>. dual eatage. <laughs> Taunt, which um, actually I think may have been John Syracuse's favorite moment of the entire Ooh. year. 
Well, you know, every village needs its idiot. So I've been happy to provide that role. You got me, Steve. Nice. So Ben Linus is in the cornfield with Anthony now. Eat it, Snell. <laughs> All right. Man, trash talk. All right. It's getting See, good. Normally I would reserve that for the chat window. Well played. Eat it again, Snell. Oh, man. So Dual eatage. I mean, award I think this is when I say, eat it, Snell. Yes. <laughs> No, that's that's Steve's line. Oh, uh, I recommend it. It's uh, it's highly cathartic. You can all say it. That's right. Listener Mark wrote in that it's a tie between the TV draft and pitch. Please do that again. He says. <laughs> okay, <No. laughs> I think we, we'll have a license revoked if we if we do that again. Well, we could do um, a movie draft. And the I think I think we should do a favorite movie draft. That would be good. Um, and mm. the Empire Strikes Back two parter. He also liked. Listener Woo-hoo. Chris. Listener Chris L wrote in and said. Um, both the two-part draft pick and pitch and the two-part Star Wars were golden. Um, mm. So people liked the Star Wars episodes. Adam wrote in and said he thought the Empire Strikes Back episode was incomparable. Ha <laughs> ha! See what uh, he did there. That wow. that doesn't mean good, Jason. Let's just be clear. <laughs> yes, it's well, it's not necessarily conveying a value judgment of any kind. True. Um, listener Brandon wrote in and said Empire Strikes Back all the way. Mm. Uh, listener David wrote in and said two come to mind. Uh, episode fifty nine. What episode is fifty nine? I don't. I didn't actually write that down. And That's the, the em- tail end of the TV draft. And the Empire Strikes Back series, especially the After Dark, the where we Ooh. where we talked about the Empire Strikes Back for an extra twenty minutes after having <laughs> bored everybody to death already. Apparently you know what I everybody. think this says about uh, about things. Notice how they're not saying the Star Wars two parter. They're saying the Empire two. No, no. Someone said the Star Wars two parter. Yeah, I think. I think they mean the Empire two-parter, Dan. Let's just face it. The Empire, Empire Strikes Back. It's just a vote in the Empire so Strikes me, Back's let me, favor. Let me just, if I might recall, were you were you on the Star Wars two-parter? I was not. Oh, yeah. So, you okay. know what? It, so no one could possibly say that is what you're saying. So the reason the Star Wars episode, I think, is so touching is because, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we learned so many things in the Star Wars episode. We learned that star, seeing Star Wars can change your life. And we also learned about the coffee drinking habits of Darth Vader. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is true. My uh, my life exists in in two separate dimensions: one pre Star Wars and one post Star Wars. It was the transformative experience. I I was nine years old when Star Wars was released, and I saw it nine times during its initial theatrical run. I was just totally blown away by everything in it. It was it was perfect in every way, and I still believe that. And I will argue with anybody who wants to that it is it remains perfect despite its flaws. It is the Socratic ideal of what a science fiction movie should be. So what you're saying is even its flaws are part of its perfection. Yes, the, exactly. It would it it is perfect because of its flaws. That's for old people like me and Greg. That's um. That's such a strange idea, the idea that Star Wars was always there. I, I have to think that, that it would be a little disappointing having it always around because you didn't get to discover it. It didn't, like, appear, you know, uh, dawn. I, m- I might argue that, that as, as, as your idea, Greg, that, that Star Wars is a Socratic ideal in some ways, um, hasn't it always been there? Uh, we just didn't know it. <laughs> it's been inside of us. It was inside the block of marble. It, it was a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. He's he does lazy. use the word faith there, too. He finds his lack of faith disturbing. Now, why do you need to have faith? I'm choking you, dude. <laughs> you don't have to believe. Believe that. <laughs> I believe it. Let me go. Greg, can you explain Can you explain the Darth Vader coffee thing, by the way, for those who don't know? Because this is one of my favorite things about the original Star Wars. In the comic version, there's the conference room scene 
where they're discussing how the plans got away and who's to blame and your ancient religion, blah, blah, blah. And it, just as, as the people are talking uh, around the table, uh, Vader floats over a styrofoam cup of coffee. And whoa, then whoa, he's whoa, just... Whoa. Yes. How does he drink it? Yes! <laughs> I don't know. Using the force? <laughs> and then he just... He's holding it for the rest of the scene, including while he's choking the guy. Okay. And it, the it, old, it the like, only thing that would have been awesome about that is if while choking the guy, he summons a cup of coffee and then throws it in his face and stalls him. <laughs> that would be hilarious. He should, have, he should have been quietly sipping it through his helmet while choking the guy. That's the dark side, man. Uh, coffee is for chokers. Yeah, Vader doesn't put any cream in his coffee. By the way, he likes he, it black. He takes it with black, just like he likes. I it. like my coffee like my like my evil Sith like my overlords. Sith lords. <laughs> I really should have been on the real genius episode. I'd have backed you up, man. Yeah, I know. I, I made a I made a horrible mistake with that episode. <laughs> I, I was I booked the wrong guests. I, I needed oh, more people on my side. It happens. I went for diversity. Instead of a monoculture that would agree with me. Well, I hope hey, you've I learned like a valuable it. lesson. Yeah, it, it's bad. very Thank strange you. to me that so there's so much love for the TV draft episodes when we were all convinced that that was going to be the second <laughs> coming of the Stephen Fry episode. I, after we posted the TV draft episodes, I really there were evenings when I would look out my window just to make sure that the torches and pitchforks weren't out there. <laughs> you know, if I had it all to do over again, I think I would do it differently. <clears throat> Sorry, that was, was that too serious? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Little, little maudlin. Were you expecting us to create a flashback is, for is you? Is there a song that's about to start that goes with that? <laughs> well, I drafted a bunch of vampires. <laughs> and detectives. And I, have no, I have no more to that song. But but Stephen, Fry. Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry. Um, no. Stephen Fry. So, so more comments about Star Wars. Listener Ryan said Star Wars, of course. Now of course. John Syracuse must turn his Lecter-like eye on episodes one through three. <laughs> and then he specifies the analytical Hannibal Lecter, not the murderer part of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I, I uh, think you get to choose which part of Hannibal no, Lecter you get. I can it's a guess, package deal. I can guess which part John would choose to inflict on the prequels, too. And it's not the analytical uh-huh. part. It's the murder part. I see. But here's the thing. if you, It would just be two hours of, of John saying, I don't know what movie you're talking about. <laughs> That's true. That movie existed? Really? His his power of self-delusion is great. <laughs> you know, considering the impact that the years. prequels had on Star Wars fans, I would say that those two were life-changing films. It's mm, true. In a different in a different sort of way. In a vastly different sort of way. If I could do it all over again, I think <laughs> I would do it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Lister Matt wrote in and said that uh Episodes 67 and 68 were the best of the year where Syracuse got down on Empire Strikes Back. My favorite moment from this uh, episode, and yes, I am leading into a clip here, is when John Syracuse summed up Han Solo's character in just a few seconds. The character is established to immediately fire his weapon upon seeing the enemy. The only reason he didn't immediately shoot Greedo is because Greedo got the jump on him and had the gun drawn on him first and he had to talk while he got his gun. Han shoots first for crying out loud. He doesn't doesn't even like Chewie growls at least. Han just immediately fires and draws as fast as he can and doesn't fire once. He's just aim, shoot, kill, kill, kill. That's Han Han Solo in that scene. He is a man man of action. Han Solo. He shoots first, people. Oh, oh John! Kill, kill, kill! Oh. He's succinct. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. But Jen- I remember Hannibal Lecter saying something very similar in one of the films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, somewhat Gen- more eloquently. Generally, um, in the in the Empire podcast, there was some serious uh, nerdery going on between Dan and John, though. I find that it's hard uh, to believe. True. Mm-hmm. I was nerded out. I thought I knew a lot, but it's a bit of bromance. I, just out of curiosity, I mean, from your guys' perspective. How many days do you think he's there? Not that long. Maybe like a, a week. Because I was or... trying to calculate based on like how long they spent running away from the uh, the Falcon Spence running away. Yeah. You don't know how long it took them to fly without warp speed to... to well, to Cloud City. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems like not more than a few days, though, right? Yeah, they make it seem like only it's a few days. It's not long. But I bet it would be like a, a week. Or, yeah. Oh, they spent weeks. a week running away from the Empire? Well, they, they spent a week flying. They couldn't, they couldn't go to light speed, and... It, takes a while to get around you also don't know how long they were sitting on the back of the star destroyer until they get dumped off for trash yeah because you see them there and it's all dark and you're like you know so what's our next move they could have been hanging out there for a while i i i I don't know it always seems to me like three or four days i'm like man that's a that's a very short time to cram in your jedi training (laughs) it does seem faster in the movie like that's the question like exactly how much jedi training did luke actually get but i think even if you think it's only been a few days it shows. He looks like someone who's yeah. had like a three-day course on, you know, professional driving and now, you know. <laughs> boot camp. Jedi boot camp. <laughs> right. And and has not absorbed it. It's like if you took a three-day professional driving course. It's a Jedi weekend, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a Jedi weekend warrior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ren, you and I had to basically stand on the sidelines while, while uh, Dan and John just listed all the things they loved about The Empire Strikes Back. It was yeah, fun. Well, we'd, we'd get our mouths open and then John would, yeah. or, or Dan would put it more succinctly and then. And then we'd go back to our caves and be like, yeah, I really love that movie. To, to you, be fair, we really love that movie. Like a lot. Yeah. Like if it was legal in my state to marry that movie, eh, I would. I think, think it about is. It. Actually, Massachusetts, we're very liberal. Yeah. It's true. Yes, very but liberal. then you and John would have to fight over who married that movie. Oh. I'm sure I, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, sure that's we, right. We, just, then, we both married then, it. Then three Two people in a movie are all married together, and it's it is it's yeah. madness. Dogs and cats you know living what? together. It's, it's, it's a hysteria. sitcom. Sitcom. There's yeah. There's the start a of our Q next Q conquers draft. all. Oh. Oh. <laughs> See? Oh. So, um, listener Clinton wrote in and said he liked the Star Wars podcast, but he also specifically liked to single out the Doctor Who episodes and Ooh. our review of Feed. You Ooh. see, some people love it when we are critical, Scott. Well, that's good because that book is crap. <laughs> let's let's relive just how bad that book is. Feed by Mira Grant. Who read Feed? I did. Me, unfortunately, Scott. and neither of us liked it. Feed is is a novel about bloggers. Yes, who are essentially news reporters of the future, and this is set in the near future as well, where technology is a little more advanced. Also, there's been a zombie apocalypse. And everybody who dies becomes a zombie. Oh, that's the um, worst kind of and day. if you get bitten, if by a zombie, you die, that's and right. then you are a zombie. And and interesting, I think that her world building was interesting. So you can also, since the the whatever the the zombie particle or whatever you want to call it has been around, it has zombie virus. Yeah, the, the virus. That's probably better. It, it's so it's in everyone, and it can just spontaneously activate. So you don't have to be bitten by a zombie. You could just spontaneously turn into a zombie and animals also turn into zombies over 40 pounds or something so right. that there's like there's a law that you can't have a pet that's over 40 pounds because it could yeah. spontaneously turn into like a, a zombie marmaduke think, but think how bad zombie like mosquitoes would be 
Zombie wombats? Right. That's why you can't do that. Yep. So, but zombie horses, yes. This was really not very good. No. It was, it wow. was, I mean, it was bad. Ringing unendorsement. I, I cannot believe, I, I actually, I look at this and think, how did this get nominated for a Hugo Award? I don't know. I don't understand a world where this book and the Dervish House can be considered in the same group. Uh, it's just, the gap is so wide, I don't understand it. So, Dan and Glenn, what... What can I tell you? You got to read. Feed. Yeah, I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna go. Oh. I'm gonna go right out. I, I'm so glad that I didn't just like go on mute for this and then come back and you guys like, yeah, totally read feed. Like, oh, no. <laughs> okay, sure, sucker. And the best part is it's the first book in a trilogy. So, oh, of course <laughs> that's. It. Oh, I love it. I love it. However, Scott, I had I had to break it to you. Um, some people also hate it when we are critical. Ooh. Listener Ash wrote in and said the most infuriating episode was when you ravaged the best book of the year, Ready Player One. I have a special. Oh. I, ha- I have a message. <laughs> I-, I-, I assume listener Ash is illiterate <laughs> because that that book is also crap. Not as much crap as Feed. I will give him that. It's still crap. Oh, I, I read the uh, the downloadable sample, I, I, and I felt illiterate after finishing just the sample. So I, I think that's an episode like the real real genius episode. I think that's an episode where the host let uh, let the guest get away from get get away from him. Mm-hmm. No, I think names, that host so. did an excellent job. I I would say he was one of the best hosts of the year. Mm. Everything about this book is is basically a trope, right? <laughs> like the plot, the characters, and the homage. And I guess, you know, it seems like it's one of those situations that should be a perfect storm of things that people like. And yet, it doesn't quite seem to succeed. It just I mean, me. it doesn't have that one thing that people <laughs> like, which is a, uh, a story a story that keeps them guessing. You know what I mean? Like, we find pandered to whatever, but you want to you, you want to be ca- – like, I, I was going through the story, but it was just – you just saw it where it was going, and there wasn't much surprise. And that's why the Pac-Man scene stood out so much, because there was so little in this thing that you knew – Kind of like in a movie that you knew anything they show you, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's going to be significant. It's probably going to save them in the end and because no one else oh, is yeah. doing it. Like there wasn't enough stuff for it. Like a, in a good mystery, even a short little mystery novel, there can be enough stuff going on that you can't immediately pick out, aha, when that guy came into the room, put that thing down. That was important because so much other stuff happens in the story and you're wrapped up in the people. And this thing, it was just everything was just poking up out of the, the ground really tall. Like here's this tower which is this plot point this tower which is this plot point and it wasn't any meat on the bones you know it's a new overclock processor that's so fast it's cycle time bordered on precognition first of all overclocking that was like so two decades ago and cycle time bordered <laughs> on precognition retro. makes no sense that's like if i asked my mother to write a sentence about how fast the cpu was <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get any comments from people who said, I, I really like the episodes where people who aren't Jason hosted. <laughs> well, at least we didn't get any episodes where they're like, I really hated the people who subbed in for Jason because oh. that would make me sad. I like the episodes where Glenn breathed a lot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey. So we have a clip all, of, all of them. Roll that clip. You know, so critical. I mean, we are we are sometimes critical um, and it's some true. people hate that and some people like it. We, we don't try to tear everything down every week. I mean, I think the reaction to the Star Wars episode shows that uh, people also enjoy it when we talk about things we love. Um, and so it's it's hard to strike a balance. I had somebody on Twitter the other day said that we were all. A bunch of uh, a, a bunch of pedants, and I thought, yeah, that's that's John's job. But the rest of us are 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 much more kind of you know we love things and we hate things, and that's okay. I, I think criticism is good 
is good to share. And sometimes we hate things and talk about why we hate them, but that's not all. We also love things. We, mm. we hate the dark Knight, though. Nobody <laughs> likes the dark. We, we destroyed that. That's a movie held in high regard, high regard, but, um, but we, we tore that into little tiny pieces. I think, I think I missed out on that one. I, I might've defended. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, wait a second. That was the superhero movie episode, weren't you? On I that? was. I believe yeah. I was absent from that. Oh. Dan was not on that. I would. I would have were been you, happy. Were you to not there? In. Let's check the tape. Oh, let's go to the videotape. <laughs> That's uh, overrated is The Dark Knight, uh, not because it's such a terrible movie, because it isn't terrible. Uh, it's a superhero movie that tries to have everything in it. You know, great acting, dramatic fight scenes. Uh, an amazing villain and every possible scenario you can imagine for the villain to go in a, a you know a, a love story uh, the loss of a main character revenge and it just it just ends up being too much the dark knight is at a great great movie for about 60% and then it just doesn't end and it keeps going keeps trying to have more and it it goes off the rails at the end i don't uh, want to i don't want to draw a, a parallel between the dark knight and um batman returns the second of the Tim Burton Batmans, which is a far Batman Returns far inferior to The Dark Knight. I would say The Dark Knight is a good movie. It's just horribly overrated. But they are similar in that both of them, the first movie was successful, had a lot of constraints that I think made made them successful. And then they took all the constraints off. And and the, with Batman Returns, um, it was really like, okay, well, we made Tim Burton act like a grown up. He made a good movie. Now we'll let him do whatever the hell he wants. Oh God. He made he's made something <laughs> atrocious. Um, not to mention the fact that that why is it that superhero movie franchises feel that once a movie is successful, the best way to do a sequel is by multiplying the number of villains in it by a factor of three? Oh God! Well, the Dark Knight didn't have that problem with the multiple villains. Well, I felt it, like it had a yeah, good Two Face, Harvey Two Face, yeah. and and yeah, most of his stuff comes at the end, which is in my mind the worst part of that movie. Is where they well, say, it comes oh, out wow, of nowhere. Harvey Two Face well, is trying is trying to lead into the next movie, but my, my biggest complaints are the like the fairy scene and the sort of oh. Big Brother moralizing. Those two mm. bits didn't need to be in that movie. The fairy they scene. Are. I think is terrible. And um, that's actually happening simultaneous with another scene that is bad, which is um, Batman gets equipped. um, um, Morgan Freeman equips Batman with uh, his, his bat radar, right? His bat radar. And he goes into a a tall building and he's trying to fight bad guys in this tall building. And it's one of the most incompetently put together action scenes I've ever seen in a major (laughs) movie. You, You, at no point do you really understand what's going on. Um, you, you completely lose track. It's it's sort of Transformers level of confusion. And uh, it's a shame because, again, if somebody had come in and said, no, 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 this is too much. You've got a great movie here. If we chop off most of the last 30 minutes or 45 minutes, uh, it would be a much better movie than it is. Yeah, because it starts really strong and it's focused and strong and dramatic. I think the worst decision was that they tried to make the, the big dramatic uh, – thing that happens in the final act is bat one of the things is which is another problem is 10 different things that happen in the final act is batman rejecting the idea of spying on the citizenry uh you know i'll do it this once but you have to burn the computers down when you're done or you know and his and his faithful helper almost you know threatens to quit because of this great decision like no one cares about this this is not of batman's world i don't care who batman spies on he needs to fight the bad guys i was on a later superhero movie episode yeah yeah you were we talked that, about Dan. this we were talking about this year's superhero movies i was on that one but Ooh. i was not on the one where we talked about superhero movies in general right like <laughs> the dark knight which we didn't like even though mm, lots I, of people... I, I liked it i liked it 
speaking of being critical, now would probably be a good time to interject my personal favorite podcast moment of this year. Oh, yes. Which is John Syracuse in the TV draft picking Jack Shepard. And he's so proud of himself for getting to the third round and, and still having Jack Shepard on the board. And immediately he gets slammed relentlessly by every single other person on the, on the podcast for picking such a drab, dull character. And literally everybody has their say. I think one one at a time, everybody leans in, and, and he has nothing to say at the end of it because he's been so abused. I'm happy to have made it into the third round for this pick. Jack Shepard from Lost, the lead of one of the best shows in recent years. And least he's, interesting he's character. He's a doctor. Yeah. He wants that. Well, maybe I have a plan for him. Ever think of that? Everybody has a plan for Jack. Is he going to cry a lot? Boredom? Is that your plan? I hope no. I hope you're not counting on your show involving him asking perceptive questions. About <laughs> I think. I think he looks. I think he looks sad a lot. I think he stares into the middle distance a lot. Sean, you know what would be a good episode of your show? Um, let's find out how Jack got his tattoos. <laughs> I hear that would be really interesting. <laughs> He knew he just needed a doctor for his little Firefly show, well, right? Of course, it turned out to be, you know, part of the plan. But still, it was it's it's so funny because he's even, pleased as punch. Even John Syracuse needs needs a little needs to be taken down a peg every <laughs> once in a while. Eat it, Syracuse! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, listener Scott, who is not Scott McNulty, or, or is he? Or he would be uninvited. <laughs> said that he enjoyed episode thirty-three when Syracuse skewered real genius. Oh, it's good times. And episode 23, when Serenity Caldwell picked Mystery Men as her uh, superhero movie that she enjoyed, I believe. Woohoo, Dark Horse. And Skeletor. Yeah. There you go. And and, and Scott's (laughs) request is more drafts and more old movies. So a vote for old things. Oh. Yeah. New things. More new things. I'm up for that. New things that are also old. No old things. Nice. Oh. How about just things or OU things? Got a lot of love for the canceled shows draft too, which which uh, which was our less insane of our two drafts that we did. <laughs> but there was some good stuff, and, and my favorite moment of that episode is where we all forgot to pick Firefly, except Scott, <laughs> I mean, who hates Firefly. But the rest of us just forgot. Did, we didn't forget, didn't we? Make an explicit agreement up front. That was afterwards, though. Firefly that was, that was, was no. You, Firefly didn't we make was an explicit agreement afterwards? I thought, yes. I thought that was retconned. I, I I think if you if you listen carefully to a clip that I might play in a second, you might notice that um, there is a slight edit there where we actually went through the first round, realized nobody picked Firefly, uh-huh. agreed that it would be the first pick, and then moved that section ahead to make it seem as if we'd planned the whole thing. See. Oh. <sighs> It's like when yes. they, they change the Darrens. Secrets are revealed <sighs> here. So um, I guess it's my choice, but before I make my, my selection, did everybody just assume that everybody else was going to pick Firefly? Is that what happened? I mean, much, should I just yeah. spot us? Should we just cite Firefly and spot it as saying, like, number one is Firefly, but and none of us are going to pick it? Because really... I could pick it here, but I've got such a long list, and I think it kind of goes without saying that everybody knows that Joss Whedon's sci-fi westerny thing, Firefly, got canceled way too soon and was really quite good, and it died young and left a beautiful corpse. But you know, Pretty if much. somebody wants to wants to pick it, we can do that. But otherwise, I'm I'm willing to just put it, it up on the it, board. Was it not on anybody's? Bread. Was it not on anybody's list? Uh, it's uh, on my list, but of course, I just assumed everyone else would take it, so I didn't 
you know, I think we should take it as red and move on yes. because we've talked about it all the time on other episodes. It was the zeroth <laughs> pick of the draft. It was, it, it was not on my list because I do not like it. But I am an, I'm an I, I knew it was going to be Scott. I mean, yeah, yeah. Anything, of I anybody. Was, yeah, I assumed everybody else but Scott would pick it. Well, see, there you go. All right, so I, I, you get Firefly. I will, I will put Firefly on the board. Thank God we have an editor. Wait, this podcast is edited? Only slightly. Uh, But um, not our uh, our lovely Doctor Who Flash podcasts. No, those are completely unedited. Yes, I have to say, and it shows. Yes, I mean. But it's occasionally, just occasionally, like we come up with greatness. I particularly like our Let's Quilt Hitler episode, if only <laughs> for the nonsense that it happens at the very end when we go into things like quilting Hitler and finding ways to make Nazis funny. The new plot, I've just decided that I'm going to write a book called Let's Quilt Hitler. Oh. <laughs> I know Scott is my target audience. <laughs> people behind the uh, spaceship that's also a man come up with a new plan called Let's Build Hitler. Oh. I like let's, the idea of selling a book called Let's Quilt Hitler, if only to like, now we can suss out all the Nazis. <laughs> that's like, and, and the, the Nazis. But what that might be some overlap. Yes. <laughs> Nazi quilters. Who doesn't That's want to snuggle with Hitler at night? Please tell me you're still recording this so I can have blackmail material. I'm, I'm I, am, not. I am still recording. Ah, uh, uh, oh, good. Uh, good. Yeah. yeah, we discovered lots of things about Scott in that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and a lot about ourselves. So um, I also have, I have, I have some more... Uh, reader feedback here these are Jeez, they don't just they just don't stop these talking. these are from the, the contact form and if you're wondering how to send us uh information via the contact form perhaps <laughs> well, a newsletter uh, address it to ooh. santa claus <laughs> yeah this oh. district courthouse <laughs> that's 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 right it'll be delivered fred to fred mertz <laughs> in miracle on third fourth street we will read them from the judge's desk you go to five by five dot tv slash contact Ooh. And then you can send in messages like this one from Stephen, who writes in, great show on holiday movies. But you missed my favorite, Remember the Night with Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have not you, seen that one. I have no idea what he's talking about. No, you, I've never heard of it. Do you think that's Stephen Fry? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> you know, it's a bad sign when the title is Remember the Night and nobody does. Nobody no. remembers Remember so, the Night. So, um, it's a day you'll always good, remember. Good question from uh, listener David Valade, who says, I'm new to the show and enjoy it tons. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you in, in your recent book club episode, you joked about this being a book club. It's not a, it's not a joke. Okay, maybe it is a joke. <laughs> it is a book club. It's he book says, club. I'm new, so I apologize if this is common knowledge, but is there such a thing where I can learn of a book to be discussed in the future, read it on my own, and then listen in it as it's discussed? And the answer is, if we get our act together in the previous book club, we will mention it. If we don't get our act together, we will try to mention it on the previously mentioned The Incomparable Twitter account. So follow mm-hmm. The Incomparable on Twitter, and we'll try to let you know what books we are planning on reading for future editions of the book club. And FYI, you can always not listen to an episode, read the book, and then listen to it. <gasps> Such is the glory of the podcast. The, that's the great thing about this medium. If you guys pick a book that's 10 years old, I might read it too. <laughs> Maybe oh. you already read it. Oh. Um, Chew on that, Steve. A pal of okay. Greg Noss. 
described only as a pal of Grignos, wrote in to say, tell your incomparable buddies I have declared jihad on Syracusa. He who despises real genius despises life. <laughs> people, people feel very strongly about wow. John Syracuse is what I'm learning from this. Yes. Yes, <clears throat> yes he does that. Um, uh, listener Christopher wrote in to suggest a topic for an un- upcoming show before Christmas. Oh, well, let's get on that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Christmas 2012. Uh, but but he, he wants to hear us discuss cult Christmas movies, so maybe we'll oh. do that. That Barbara Stanwyck movie could be on the list now, too. Yes. But, I uh, assign you all Remember the Night before he, this time next year. But he mentioned, he mentioned Die Hard, A Christmas Story, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Elf, Home oh. Alone, all of which we mentioned in our Christmas movie podcast. So I thought... Mm. It was Christopher as if, must be at least partially satisfied. Uh, as That's if right. we listened to Christopher, even though we didn't read his letter until much later. He's and my then, favorite listener of 2011. And then uh, I wanted to read um, my favorite iTunes review of the podcast. Please go to iTunes and give us a positive review. Yes. Because you can counteract this review left on October 10th. The subject, <laughs> ugh. Ugh. Was it left by Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> Five people talking over top of each other, laughing at their own poor, quote, jokes, close quote, and then repeating them again because no one else laughed. No insight, no interesting points of view, no entertainment value unless you have no friends to sit around a table and chat with. Listening oh. to the incomparable is like listening to five different podcasts being played at once. Hmm, that's an idea. <laughs> a stain on the otherwise mostly excellent Five by five network. Wow. I like the I like the qualifier. Mostly excellent. Mostly. I'd like to apologize again for the Stephen Fry episode. I yeah. mean oh. clearly we're sorry. So uh I think this gentleman might be a Stephen, Nazi. Stephen Fry, eh? <laughs> so yeah. Stephen Fry. I've been playing a lot of Wolfenstein three D lately, a twenty year old game. Oh. And Wolf-a-ha. I, I game, game, nine out of ten Nazis when they're shot die by saying Ugh. Oh <laughs> I think you have a point. So it's you're saying he's a pixelated Nazi. In the in his death throes as he's typing okay. that review, <laughs> oh, that <laughs> seems... I'm sure he listened to a second episode that wasn't Stephen Fry. It probably it was probably this one. And this was just subsequent to the TV draft that he wrote. That I remember seeing that one yeah. appear. So oh. not everybody loved it. Not everybody loved the TV draft. That's okay. That's okay. You can love us. You can hate us. Exactly. You're allowed to be critical of us. We we accept. Good. It. We can Bad. be critical. Mm-hmm. We can be praiseful. You should be critical and praiseful, too. Exactly. But if you're going to be critical, keep it to yourself. We <laughs> <laughs> don't want to hear it. I cry exactly. in fetal position whenever I'm criticizing. I say if you're critical, at least be, at least be inventive and innovative in <laughs> See, your criticism. I thought you were going to say at least be critical of John Syracuse. <laughs> or that. Or that. And God knows I do it enough. He's, Syracuse is too big to be on this episode tonight, That's by true. the way. Isn't that He's, something? He said his proxy his, dad. His, uh, his agent... His agent wouldn't let him yeah. appear. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't do clip shows. Yeah. Sadly, strictly right. regulated. Yeah. Ever since Harrison we Ford af- went on the uh, <laughs> Star Wars holiday show. <laughs> we couldn't afford him. Couldn't afford John Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, so I've exhausted all of our uh, reader interaction for, for 2011 there. That was it. Oh, thank God. <clears throat> Goodness. Can I, uh, can I throw out my favorite moment, moment from a podcast? Yes, please. Year? God, I, I, you know, I, I was racking my brains, and then it, it popped into my head because I just, I love this moment, and I'm trying to remember exactly where you put it in. I think it may be at the beginning of one of one of the Empire episodes, which is everybody's impression of a Imperial probe droid. Oh yes, that's at the beginning of one of the Empire episodes, and then the other, the other one ends with yes, largely yes. you doing your series of sound effects from <laughs> Empire Dan Strikes Moore's Back. Dan Warren's Star Wars soundboard. 
Imperial probe droid. Maybe it's a little crass to favorite my own appearance on a podcast, but you know what? No one else did, so... No, I thought it was... That, that was a funny moment when John mentioned the Imperial Probe Droid, and then all four of us began doing our impressions, all of which are extremely different, which is also strange. It's Yes, but all, all of them good in their own way. Oh, I think I will uh, like to give a shout-out, as the kids say. I'm yes. pretty sure they still say that. Uh, to Glenn Huge Fleischman's uh, Jack Donaghy impersonation... <laughs> So Glenn, uncanny. we love we love we love Glenn. Glenn Glenn could do a one man show. <laughs> I think he did. So so Glenn would do his Jack Donaghy impression, um, and I believe he mispronounces Jack Donaghy. Um, well, we could have him do some heavy breathing. That's right. And and then we could have him host an episode about <laughs> they might be giants and repeatedly refer to the <laughs> band as they may be giants or they, they must be giants. There could be giants. <laughs> I don't know. Don't and don't forget, of course, his also excellent impression of Jimmy Stewart in the <laughs> holiday movies episode. Oh, but of course. One of these days to the moon. Stop your yapping. We have a shipment of 10 million Blackberry playbooks to process <laughs> for the unobtainium that the Canadians accidentally baked into the CPU. Canadians. To the moon! Susan's Powell's. A man of one voice. <laughs> Stroked out Jimmy Stewart. But many impressions. But we love Glenn, and in we fact, do. Glenn, my favorite thing about about that Glenn contributed to the podcast this year is that he came up with the idea for the TV draft and then wasn't in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, and then refused to to play with the team that we in fact drafted for. Him. Yes. 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 He's he's told me several times that this is phase one of his multi phase plan to destroy the podcast. Well, I thought phase one was Stephen Fry. <laughs> uh, that was more like phase zero. <laughs> Well, so you know, it was a it was a good year. We started this podcast in 2010, but it, mm-hmm. we we did a whole lot of episodes in 2011, and it was a it was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to what uh, crazy things we'll do in in 2012, no, like this show. Yeah, nothing's going to top Skeletor though. Mm-hmm. I don't except maybe nobody, Skeletor. Nobody can defeat Skeletor. He's in the Hall of Fame now. Well, so happy new year to everybody out there and here's to a good 2012. And I, I you know, I want to thank not only the people who are here on this episode, but all the uh, contributors to the incomparable in the past year. It's been a lot of fun. So I would like to thank most particularly the people who showed up for the clip show. Uh, so thank you, Scott McNulty. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Serenity Caldwell. Why? Thank you, Jason Snell. Thank you, Dan Morin. I, I guess thanks are in order. Eat it, Lutz! <laughs> <laughs> Prospero Anio E. Felicidad, Snell. Thank you. <laughs> and Show thanks off. to all the, all the listeners, even those who didn't write in uh, uh, or leave one-star iTunes reviews. Thank you most of all. Ugh. We'll be back with regular episodes <laughs> next week. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> It's there. There you go.
That's an episode right there. <laughs> episode number 73, Ugg. Ugg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's related to Skeletor. Sorry, I have a Skeletor-related moment. When I was a kid, I loved, I loved He-Man as a kid, and my, my cousins used to babysit for me. And my, my cousin Jenny, who I think was in her teen, late teens or early 20s when she babysit with me, she used to change. She would read, read me a He-Man story, and she would change it to, and then Skeletor killed He-Man. And I would sit there and go, no! That's impossible. I thought you were about to say she used to change you into a loincloth and a purple hood and Ooh. paint you blue. That's a different really podcast. Blue? Really blue? <laughs> let's let's do it now. Oh, that was good. For it. That's good radio. That's good podcasting right there. That's it. Not Itoonie. Are you a? Was that your your impression of a wadge? I am a dyslexic uh, Star Wars fan. <laughs> War stores. War stores. Thank you. Una guta solo. All I have to say is ugh. Ugh. <laughs> ugh. <laughs>